Respectfully. 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 A Melanated Therapist. Welcome in and welcome home, family. I'm Dimitri. And I'm Day. And this is Respectfully a Melanated Therapist podcast. Just a quick disclaimer, this is not therapy. We are just two people who are doing a podcast who happen to be therapists. The information in our podcast is for psychoeducation and entertainment purposes only. If you are in need of therapeutic resources, please feel free to contact us and we'll point you in the right direction. Awesome. All right, fam. So the topic of this week's podcast is working in non-POC spaces and POC is persons of color or working in environments where the majority of the employees are are white. So to start off, let's define what microaggressions are. The everyday verbal, nonverbal, and environmental slights, snubs, or insults, whether intentional or unintentional, that communicate a hostile, derogatory, or negative message to target persons based solely upon their race or ethnicity. Oh, those microaggressions, man. <laughs> right. <laughs> they they happen so slyly and if you're not like aware of them, it they happen before you know it, you know? And you can't Absolutely. like call them out until the moment's gone. So I'm hoping that this episode can really help people kind of pick up on some of them and be able to address them in the immediate moment rather than recognizing that a microaggression even occurred much later. Absolutely. And I think another part too that I wanted to highlight is, especially in that definition, is (laughs) intentional and unintentional. So microaggressions, you know, the individuals that commit them may know that they're doing it. And then some of them actually may not know that they're doing it. And, you know, mm-hmm. that's a whole different conversation about generational um, knowledge or not necessarily knowledge, but behaviors that have been passed on to younger generations regarding race. Right. And I mean, I'm sure when we're talking about, you know, ways to address them, we can discuss the differentiation between when they are intentional and unintentional. Absolutely. So with that being said, Dimitri, what has your experience been like working in a white space or a non-person of color space? Hmm. My experience working in a non-POC space. Basically, all of that I've ever worked in. <laughs> and I've been mm-hmm. working in those types of spaces since I was 14 years old. Um, I feel like when you're when you're young, like teenage years, that you're very goal-oriented. Like, I'm really here just to make money and, you know, you're social and things like that. So there's certain aspects of of that experience that you may not be privy to. But being Mm -hmm. an adult definitely, of course, gives you a different perspective. So, you know, one of the things that I noticed um, working in those spaces is that I have to work three times harder than my white counterparts for less recognition. Mm -hmm. That's the biggest one. Mm -hmm. So noticing that, you know, individuals who don't look like me, who are less qualified than myself, getting promotions. Mm -hmm. You know, so it's just something that, you know, as, as bad as it may sound, something that I just 
learn to deal with in one of those it is what it is type of situations. And I'm clocking in and I'm clocking out and I'm here for my check. Um, Now, any situation that has been, I've not experienced a situation where it was just blatantly done into my face or some type of discrimination that was blatant or or direct towards me. Um, However, there are, you know, subtle things that would occur or, you know, um, language that would be used to describe other races and things like that. And, you know, in those moments, that's where, you know, I step in and I, you know, correct people and make sure that, you know, people are being respectful of of not only my community, but also other um, POC communities and, and the verbiage that should mm-hmm. be used and uh, that equal respect. How about you? Oh, uh, okay. So I think... My experience growing up is a little different than yours because, yes, I did work, but I was always aware that I was one of the very few people of color in my space because that has been my life since I I don't know when. You you know, like it just always started that way. Um, Just even grade school kind of thing, you know, thinking as early back as like, you know, third grade, second grade. So. With that perspective, I was always hyper aware of myself um, in non-person of color spaces or a white space, to be very frank. So when I look back at it, my work experience, I've had, I think, two experiences where I worked with majority of the people being minorities, including my bosses. and. I appreciated those spaces so, so, so much. Um, Granted, I mean, I think you have your normal work things that come up regardless, but I definitely was not dealing with racism or discrimination of any sort during that time. Um, In times that I was in a majority white space, I've definitely experienced that my white counterparts or non-person of color counterparts, ultimately, you're right, you know, getting those raises, you know, getting promoted and all of those things. And I'm just sitting here like, okay, got it. And also noticing that I was the go-to person to do more work because of, one, because I was effective, right? We know that. They always praise me for a work. I can't say that it wasn't praised, but promoted, pay more. Mm -mm. But then it turned into like, oh, well, we know our day is going to be able to get it done. It was kind of like I didn't have a, a barometer for enough is enough with the workload that they would try to kind of pile on to me from time to time, Um, which in turn, it, it became my boundary to be able to say, yeah, no, not doing that or okay, I feel okay with doing that. Um, man, ironically, there was a recent experience that I had where we had an intern coming to work for a previous company that I was with. And um, she was racist, but unaware of her racism uh, to the point that, you know, and we'll talk about this more, but this was a microaggression of, oh, well, my husband is Hispanic. And she identified his race, but I'm not going to for the sake of these purposes. But it was just kind of like, okay, yeah, that great. 
I'm glad that he is. Or furthermore, it would be something like, oh, well, I know you're going to think I'm asking you this because you're Black, but do you know where I could, you know, get my son cornrows? No, girl, but you can use Google. So, like, (laughs) I've just experienced (laughs) different, I've experienced situations like that with people that are probably of equal level to me, but not usually, um, you know, higher ups being discriminatory. Uh, maybe it's happened once or twice, but I've been able to be very clear about where my lines are. And so I think that they just knew not to try me, if I'm being honest. <laughs> yeah, yeah, listen, I, I completely get that. <laughs> Two things. First, thank you for sharing your story, you know, not just relating to working in non-POC environments, but kind of like your your history of it when you were younger. And I think hearing your story kind of, you know, kind of reminds me of how fortunate I was um, growing up um, to have been in very diverse spaces for a while, mm-hmm. um, you know, and I think that Excuse me. And I want to uh, say something to our listeners that microaggressions extend beyond just race and ethnicity and also Mm -hmm. go over to gender identity and sexual Mm -hmm. orientation. Um, You know, that whole, you know, proverbial phrase of, oh, I have a black friend or I have a gay friend. Like, okay, congratulations. (laughs) <laughs> right. So let now, now let me go ahead and check you because right. that's completely inappropriate. And unfortunately, you don't even know that that's inappropriate. Um, right. You know, so with that, Rade, how, because I know your story, so I'm going to put it out here a little more um, if okay. you don't mind. So, you know, you've navigated, like, since, like you said, grade school, kind of being basically the only few minorities in those spaces to the degree to where you're hyper aware of that difference. How Mm -hmm. did you manage all of that? When I was younger, it, it was a lot more difficult because I was, you know, in school with all of these non-people of color And then Mm -hmm. I would go home to Black family, Black friends, and my Black neighborhood, right? Mm -hmm. And and then just do it all over again. So it was was a little bit difficult to navigate in the sense that I made friends and I maintained them, but I always kind of felt like an outsider to, like, not really mattering what group I was a part of at the time, Mm -hmm. because... I will say this, I was called Oreo with both groups, right? So wow. it's like, yeah. So, and that lasted, man, all the way up until high school, okay? Wow. Where I was being called that, yeah. So that kind of, I, it didn't matter. It was just always like, oh, you talk like you're white, even though I just spoke with I spoke properly, you know, mm-hmm. and still with do. proper enunciation. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. And I mean, sure, like we use slang, whatever it is, what it is. But at the same time, <laughs> like the way I, the way my parents have also taught me is to also look past color. They were really intentional about bringing a lot of different mm-hmm. um, ethnicities, sexualities, even people around always. Absolutely. Um, so that was great. But then also I was able to 
what I will say I did is as I got into white spaces in particular, I was always looking for a black person to kind of connect with mm-hmm. um, simply because I wanted more of my cultural experience outside of my home. If exactly. That makes sense. No, that makes perfect sense. Um, yeah. So um, ultimately I initially, it was really hard to navigate. When mm-hmm. I got to high school, I was able to make a lot more friends that were of the same race and different races, but still people of color. Mm-hmm. Um, but still I was in IB and like, three or four or one of the four uh, black people that was in my cohort, you know? Mm-hmm. So it, mm-hmm. it was just, it was so difficult to probably navigate, but not too much. So that I couldn't, that I didn't feel comfortable because I started to feel a lot more comfortable with myself and more self-assured. Mm-hmm. Um, and then when I went to college, man, I made my college experience the blackest experience I could. Okay? I know that's right. <laughs> I know that's right. Listen, at a PWI. <laughs> right. At a PWI. <laughs> and, you know, really important to note that, like, I wanted to go to an HBU, HBCU so, so bad. Um, but, you know, it just wasn't in the car to me for, you know, for whatever Same. those reasons were. Mm-hmm. Um and so went to PWI and I will say when going to USF this is one of the <laughs> most culturally diverse experiences I thought I would have in a PWI in particular like mm-hmm. I think a lot of people say especially if you're involved in like you know the black organizations Greek life stuff like that that you mm-hmm. like USF felt like a HBCU within a PWI, okay? Like, mm-hmm, we mm-hmm. <laughs> were so connected, and I love that. And so I think that's really helped me kind of get into my own and, be, and also learn ways to cope with these microaggressions and address them appropriately because I had peers that also have been going through those same things mm-hmm. or possibly have not. They were on the complete opposite end of the spectrum. And as soon as something came up, like a microaggression or a very direct racial slur, they were on it, like able to address it fast. And I was like, ooh, okay, I need to take notes. You know, like I was, right. I was asking questions, <laughs> right. I was, you know, all the things. But yeah, not to ramble, but that that was my experience. Ultimately, I was able to deal with it by also learning from other people mm-hmm. and also becoming more comfortable with myself about just who I am and what my place looks like in the world, whether I'm in a black space, a white space or or whatever that looks like. So, yeah. Mm -hmm. And I think, um, you know, how I was saying that, you know, I was in diverse settings all of that time, but I feel that the most microaggressions that I've ever experienced are because I'm in the LGBT plus community. That's where all of my mm. microaggressions come from. All of my judgments and the the side marks, like, oh, I have gay friends, or oh, my cousin's gay. Okay, well, what does that have to do with me? Right. <laughs> what know? do you want me to do and with that? Exactly. Like, you want a badge? You know, I'm sorry, this is really raw, <laughs> guys. So, you know, I'm gonna speak mm. freely, but you know, that's where most of my microaggressions come from. And you know, it is. You know, of course, it's different than, you know, working in a non-POC uh, space because this microaggression transcends across society. 
in general. Mm-hmm. Um, meaning that it could happen in any space that I'm in, you know, at a restaurant and, you know, if I'm with my partner and then we may not get the same service as a heterosexual couple or, you know, mm-hmm. I may get passed over for a promotion because I'm I'm out the, you know, homosexual and, you know, so it's a lot of different um aspects of microaggressions that that occur across the spectrum but you know yeah definitely but thank you for sharing that I'm sorry you went through that and you know I feel like especially when you're in great in school period that other your peers or other kids can be really harsh at times yeah definitely I mean I was definitely the exceptional black person let's let's be real about it like I was definitely mm-hmm. the exceptional black girl um but just for clarification to all you listeners I'm exceptional period so there's that hashtag <laughs> facts <laughs> hashtag facts <laughs> Listen, but don't misunderstand it exceptional is different than token we ain't been ever been nobody's token right. nope no ma'am. <laughs> but we have been exceptions. And I of think course. that there's a beauty in that. I'm actually glad you brought that up right there. There's a beauty in that. And technically it shouldn't be an exception. Like, oh, okay, mm-hmm. you know, everybody else get microaggressions, but you know, Rade or Dimitri, y'all t- y'all so cool that, you know, we just welcome y'all into our space when ultimately that same, you know, um perspective or that same welcoming nature that you invite us into should transcend against all other you know, ethnicities and, and, you know, genders and sexual mm-hmm. orientations. So, yep. okay. So, so that kind of leads us into our next part. So Rade, what are some coping skills for microaggressions or ways to address them? Okay. Coping skills for microaggressions. I really think that it's important for reflection to happen. So looking back at what was the situation? What was said and understanding for yourself why you felt offended by it? Because then it highlights how you can then address it. And the reason I kind of notated in that order is because, like we said before, microaggressions, when they're indirect, especially when they're these subliminal little comments being made, whether it's, you know, intentionally, unintentionally, it is easy to miss them, but you still mm-hmm. feel an offensiveness to it like you still feel like a ooh what was that like right. why like what did that mean kind of thing and i think it's important that if in that moment if you can't grasp what just threw you off about the comment made take a moment go back and probably talk to someone that you trust if you can or just kind of maybe write it out just think of thinking about what was it that threw me off there and then trying to go back and have that conversation. Um, In the past, when I have addressed microaggressions, I have simply said, you know, hey, do you mind if we have a conversation um, about something, a a remark that was made earlier that made me feel a little bit uncomfortable? And, you know, usually the response is, yeah, sure. You know, okay. Because especially when it's unintentional, their intent is not to to harm. Mm -hmm. Um, And so after that, I'll go in with, you know, Uh, The comment was, and I'll share the comment, and it made me feel uncomfortable because it felt like a microaggression um, towards my identity, toward my race, whatever it was, whether it was my womanhood or me being Black, um, and about how we can address it moving forward. So my question is always then, or my remark is always then, you know, I would like to 
reduce the likelihood of this happening moving forward uh, for my comfort as well in the workplace. And so um, what do you think we can do about this? I always put the ball back in their court because I'm not about Mm -hmm. to tell you how to not be racist. Hello. That's all. Yeah. That's it. That's all. <laughs> so what about you? <laughs> so first, I wholeheartedly agree with everything you you said, and it pretty much just kind of aligns with what I was going to say. You know, the biggest part for me is is you know advocate for yourself. You know, you can mm-hmm. never advocate for yourself enough. And I think you know one of the most important things that you said, Rade, is that it's okay to go process it with someone else and then go back to it later. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like the whole point of it is to address the issue. And it doesn't mean that, you know, you may not even catch it when it happened. You may be home getting ready to get in your bubble bath and you'd be like, no, this beep didn't. Right? (laughs) (laughs) And then you you call your bestie and then you go off in black talk Mm -hmm. and then you go back to work the next day professionally and you address it. Mm Basically, in curse words and slang, you know, um, <laughs> in our, you know, venting Child. nature. Um, but yeah, I think that's that's really important. And, you know, continue to be true to yourself. You can never mm-hmm. go wrong when you be true to yourself. Now, granted, when you're in workspaces, there's a different type of um, version of yourself that you have to present when right. you're at work, a more professional version, a more polished version, because that's just how you operate in professional spaces. But at the core right. of who you are, that doesn't change. So stay true to yourself and make sure that you advocate for yourself. And then like, you know, what Rade mentioned, you have intentional and unintentional. Now, intentional... It's really not much. You can still advocate for yourself, but it's not much you're going to be able to do with something intentional because at the end of the mm-hmm. day, that's deep rooted and and that's their their journey. Um, now, unintentional, like Rade said, they don't really mean to, to cause harm. So that would end up being more of a conversation versus if it was intentional, then that would become possibly an argument or a, you know, hostile confrontation or you receive a hostile response to the conversation that you're trying to have regarding that microaggression. Yeah. You know, with um, intentional microaggressions, when those have happened in my past, I have been intentional about advocating for myself, speaking up and Mm -hmm. then creating distance and making sure that person knows that I do not feel safe with you and my space. And so moving forward, we will keep this distance as well as if I had a supervisor of any sort, I will also let my supervisor know understand that I do not feel safe in this space due to this person's intentional racism or intentional microaggressions towards me. With Mm -hmm. that being said, please do not ask me to work with them moving forward. And I completely understand how it can be uncomfortable to address these things and then have to show up to work the next day. However, if I'm going to be uncomfortable, we all about to be uncomfortable in this piece. That's you better advocate for yourself, friend. You better advocate. <laughs> we're just yeah, that's just it. I'm here for it. <laughs> All right, guys. Now we're moving onward and upward um, to the therapist hats off section. Um, so, first question from a listener is: Have either of you ever worked in a workspace where the majority of employees are minorities? If so, what was that like? Hmm. So I have worked in a space where um, majority of the employees look like me. So kind of like Rade explained earlier in the podcast is that it I didn't have to deal with race. 
So that was so mm-hmm. pleasant. That was such a great experience for me in that particular context or that regard. But ultimately, that environment was toxic. Um, and, mm. you know, all of those things that you would deal with in a, a, a regular workplace, they were still present. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? And, you know, now with since race is not a primary issue or issue at all, now we're dealing with personalities and power mm-hmm. struggles and things of that. Well, at least in my situation. So, like I said, it was a fortunate experience experience for me because I got to operate in the space like that and not having to worry about race or feeling like I had to work three times as hard as someone else just to get baseline acknowledgement. However, you know, the the environment ended up being toxic and, you know, I had to part ways. Um, But yeah, so I'm like in the middle. (laughs) Okay. Yeah. Um, for me, so very similar. Um, the last place I, that was a couple, maybe like two jobs ago that I worked in a space where most of the people there looked like me. And I appreciated that so much. My boss was black. She's also a soror. And, you know, just, it was great. Um, there were some normal toxic workplace politics that were coming Mm -hmm. up um Mm -hmm. that definitely implored me to part ways and i would part ways with any job that caused that kind of friction right right um however the connections i made oh golden okay like they are (laughs) they are connections that i have never thought of being able to make in a workplace uh, Mm -hmm. before um as well as, you know, it was a place where we were clinicians and it was also really, really nice to be in a space where I was with other people that were Black clinicians or minority clinicians and uh, were serious about, you know, the work uh, and advocating. And I just loved it. Oh, I know what you're talking about. Yes, because I mm-hmm. actually came there a couple of times and it was a whole vibe. Yes, I know yeah, exactly right? the job you're talking about. <laughs> yes, it was a whole vibe. Was. Yeah, that was different. We, and yeah, I'm not going to, you know... We we I'm, yeah, I don't no. want to go off topic, <laughs> but um, having a black having black leadership it's it's hard to explain, but it is a whole vibe. Like having someone yeah. who looks like you, who's pretty much gone through it, who's supporting you, mentoring you, like um, it, it's 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 an incomparable experience for sure. Yeah. Well, you know what? I will say I also had an experience where I did have a, a black uh, supervisor and you know, my experience was not all that in a bag of chips, honey. It was, like, you know, I think we were also in a, a non PLC space too. Mm-hmm. So it felt kind of um, clickish. Sometimes it felt kind of like gossipy and, Mm-mm. It just wasn't for me, <laughs> you know? And then there was also a point where there was some irritation with me because I wouldn't have lunch with them because I was in my master's program and during my lunch break, I worked on homework. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. I was just like, if y'all don't leave me alone, I'm here to work, clock in and clock out, baby. 
I know that's right. Because <laughs> like, like you said, it's, 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 it gives you the opportunity to, to make work connections or connections with mm-hmm. people at work that are way different than if you were in a non-POC space. But at the same time, right. I'm even though we look like each other, I'm going to treat you the same way I would when I was operating in a non-POC setting. Like, if I like you, I like you. If I don't, I don't. It if don't matter don't, what your skin color is. Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> and there is that on that. <laughs> okay, so next question. Um, is how do I get my white colleagues to stop inviting me to places and trying to hang out with me outside of work? I'm sorry, that question was funny. Because <laughs> I have a, a real quick answer. Me too. You want me to go first? Sure, go ahead, friend. It is tell them. Hell <laughs> tell no. Them. I'm just <laughs> I'm not playing, but I'm playing at the same time. (laughs) Right. Y'all, listen, I think this is the funniest thing. At my last job, when I was leaving, my boss, a white supervisor, but my my last job was uh, a non-POC space, but wokest white people ever, all therapists and case managers. I love them. Okay. But anyway, so they know how much I was not doing the potluck things. I was not coming over. I was not hanging out, all of that (laughs) stuff. And so when I was leaving, they had to tell me we were doing, um, we were having a meeting for them to do my like going away. Basically, that's the only way they was going to get you. (laughs) Yes, because I was there to (laughs) clock in and clock out and they knew this. (laughs) And it's interesting because. Uh, about a week or so before they told me, my boss actually said, okay, so I need to tell you this now, but I need you to know that there is no way that we're not going to do something for you. And I completely spaced it the following week. So needless to say, (laughs) I said, tell the ass, nope, I'm not going. I keep work at work and I keep home at home or personal life separate. This is even my role too with social media. I genuinely tell colleagues, do not try to follow me on social media because I'm not going to accept you, boo. Like, <laughs> mm-mm. work is work, home is home. Absolutely. Um, yeah, my answer's the same. Hell no. Now I'm just playing. But, you know, say <laughs> no. no. We won't go. Uh, right. No, but just, <laughs> just say no. You know, no thank you. And, you know, eventually they'll um, they'll get the point and they'll stop asking. Um, however, you know, like Rade said, it's, you know, I keep works and, and my home life separate. Um, low key, well, actually high key. I don't really feel like I owe you an explanation pass. No, thank you. Um, but if you feel in generous, then you can, you know, let them know what's up, but ultimately no, no, thank you is enough in my book. Yep. There it is. Yeah. Dimitri's response is a lot nicer than mine. I'll be like, girl, I ain't doing that. <laughs> anyway. <laughs> okay. For all the listeners. Yes. We have, um, I want you to know something about my dear friend, Rade. So Rade is the (laughs) sweetest person that you will ever know. She would do anything for you. She's very supportive, like, like confidant, (laughs) like, like golden girls confidant. But let me tell you something. Rade is not friendly. (laughs) If you don't know her. Now, if she knows you, then you, she's friendly, smiling, laughing. But if she does not know you, then Rade is not friendly. I'm, that's just a disclaimer for the listeners. So that's why she Google. said, right, that my my response is nicer than hers because Rade don't have that. <laughs> nope. I, I'm working on it a little bit, but, you know, not always. <laughs> <laughs> All right, fam. So now it's time for our Earth lesson. 
Our Earth lesson for this week is be intentional about creating a Black space and stay true to yourself. Be very intentional about not conforming to standards that do not apply to you. Respectfully, a melanated therapist. All right, fam. So remember to follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at RespectfullyMT and send your questions and topic requests to RespectfullyMT at gmail.com. Until next time, fam. Peace. Respectfully. 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 A melanated therapist. therapist.